cooking right along, Kev. We're cooking right along. Another Endless Promo Podcast. What's been in the news, but two of our favorite things to watch, especially in terms of retro years. Football is obviously top of mind with most Americans because college football and the NFL are in full swing. True. And if you've been paying attention to what's been happening on the New York Stock Exchange, we see that this week the deal between Endeavor and what is essentially the WWE that closed and they are now... Which we don't call it. We don't call it. We were, we're using this just for the sake of uh, time stamping this podcast. Uh, we will not be referring to the WWE as the WWE going forward for reasons we'll get into later. But that that public IPO, whatever it is, merger of equals or somewhat equals is finally through. So we've got a combination of the UFC and the WWE formerly WWF. So we thought, hey, you know, we got to let's 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 switch it up on everybody. You and I without the use of drugs have some pretty strange thoughts. <laughs> and and we decided we're, we're natural weirdos. And, and no kidding, there is there's no room for drugs and alcohol in my life because I'm already way in the weeds, if you know what I mean? What goes on between the brain space here. So we were thinking, we were chatting about this a while back and I think we can make it happen this week just because of what's going on, but both, I'm going to call it a sport. I, I WWF, I know they call it sports entertainment, but it is scripted, but nothing about what they do is unathletic or not dangerous. Yeah, I mean, it's not a true athletic competition in as much as there is an outcome uh, that is only reached after a genuine struggle between combatants or contestants. However, if you're asking about sheer athleticism, it is way more a sport than some things that are considered sports. Yes, I would put the athletic abilities of, let's say, I don't know, even like a mid-card wrestler from our day. So pick anyone at random, maybe like an Owen Hart something like that i'd put his athletic abilities above that of world famous uh, nascar drivers uh yeah yep nascar drivers golfers bowlers you know that that they're they're sports in that they are semi-athletic and certainly require skill time however dedication all that stuff no doubt However, they are not flipping through the air only to land with their feet or legs perfectly upon the neck of another human being from, you know, 10 feet up. Kevin, you couldn't have stated that more eloquently. And with that perspective, with that being said, the coolest part, in my opinion, about wrestling it's the characters. It's the the <laughs> the activities both in and out of the ring with some of the famous and now infamous wrestlers of our time. So in our heyday, we're talking 80s, 90s pro wrestlers. 
And it's weird because there is a lot of cross-pollination between American football and pro wrestling. The only football. The, the only, only football. football. There are a lot of guys who, maybe due to injury or just uh, sheer athletic talent, you know, maybe they washed out of the CFL or the NFL and they got into WWF. And vice versa. There are now a crop of wrestlers who they grow up playing football or wrestling at a collegiate level, and their goal is to be in the WWF. So there's just always been this rich history and collaboration, cross-pollination of football and wrestling. So we thought in our show notes meeting with the discussion with our team of interns, with so much cross-collaboration, so many likenesses, so many characters between the two spheres. How many NFL players, retro players, you and I grew up watching, how many of those guys would have been outstanding characters in pro wrestling? And if I may offer a concise title for this brilliant topic that you have hatched, I would propose that this episode be entitled the NFWF Rassle Ballers. Yeah, I'm actually going to write that down. So, <laughs> give me one second here. We're doing this real time. I did it for you, so in case you forget. Cool. Uh, yeah, so, I, I don't know. When we started, I think I texted you what on Tuesday night. Hey, Kevin, I have approximately 30 guys I think would work on the this list so we have to kind of hard to narrow down oh my gosh there are so many guys in the nfl and we didn't even we didn't we could have gone college and nfl but we chose nfl there are so many guys in the nfl character wise personality wise off field activity wise would have been perfect fits in retro wrestling no doubt about it so I had a few criteria that I came up with on my own. And to okay. give folks a preview on what's going to happen in the next, let's say, half hour, 45 minutes, you're doing tag teams with managers. Yes, sir. I'm doing singles. And my criteria were basically this, Kevin. One, athleticism. Two, drug or drinking problems. <laughs> Three, Legal issues. <laughs> Four, a combination of signature look, a wearable, a theme, and an obvious finishing move. Ooh, I love the last one. So yeah. those were my criteria of the three singles competitors that I picked for the NFWF draft. Okay. Well, let it rip. Okay, who's, who's, uh, can, can I start? Can I start? Can I start? I'm so excited about the first one. <laughs> so, so we're gonna we're gonna get you some beer and put you straight. <laughs> I'm so excited about the first one because the more I peeled the layers back on this guy, oh my gosh, I don't know. Like, I don't know how this wasn't written as a character in the WWE slash WWF. So. My NFL fandom has waned only because of the stage of life that I'm in. Three small children. The weekends are just compacted with activities 
And I'd rather spend my time with the kids versus what you and I used to do a lot of in the early aughts, mid aughts, you know, just spending time watching football all day Saturday, all day Sunday. I know with you, it's a little different because your family has a really cool tradition. You guys have been doing the U of M thing for a long, long time. You all get engaged. You're all together. On my side, it would be me watching football with four other human beings like, Dad, can we go do something? Or, honey, I don't want to watch this anymore. So, my guys are going to be earlier, but my first one is a young man by the name of Warren Carlos Sapp. Oh! Mr. Warren Sapp. And... My main viewing of him was essentially like late high school, early college years. And the first time I saw him play in the NFL, I was hypnotized by this man because of the character he was on the field. And as he progressed through his career, he became even more of a character than when he got into uh, being an analyst and uh, kind of extending himself into pop culture. Warren Sapp, I think, is one of those guys who a lot of people who don't even watch football would recognize. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a great pick. I almost think, like, if you played for the Miami Hurricanes, you probably qualify for this for this list. If you haven't seen The U, which I know you and I have both <laughs> seen probably 60 times, the ESPN 30 for 30, part one and part two, the Miami Hurricanes in the 80s, 90s, Wow, as many inmates as NFL alumni, <laughs> but a uh, crazy program to play. Warren Sapp was at Miami. Oddly enough, had a very close relationship and not a good way with one Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh-huh. And I would like to steal a quote from a speech that Dwayne Johnson gave to the Los Angeles Lakers before they played for the NBA championship about overcoming adversity. And he said... Quote, I played for the University of Miami, played on great teams. Warren Sapp, Ray Lewis, those guys were my teammates. Warren Sapp was playing tight end at the time that I was at Miami. I was a starting defensive tackle, and they moved him over to the D-line. And he looked at me one day in practice and said, dude, I'm going to take your spot. So we battled, and he took my spot. And just imagine how much that bleeped with my mind because there goes my opportunity. So I'm reading this thinking Warren Sapp at one time in his life punked an upperclassman that was Dwayne The Rock Johnson. If that's not WWF, I don't know what is. Punked him. I. That's, that's like built-in storyline built-in drama, like, that's Monday Night Raw exploding prime time with that matchup. Can you imagine if they got to, like, rehash their old rivalry at the U in the ring? He retired early enough that I think he could have gone to the WWF and had an impact because even when he retired, he retired like most people do in the NFL, still... 0.00001% of the population in terms of athleticism, even though they're not at an NFL level anymore. So he gets done playing football and he ends up, you know, this is where the character comes in. 
He's a host on the NFL Network. He's an analyst on Inside the NFL on Showtime. He ends up on Season 7 of Dancing with the Stars. Okay? He starts a YouTube channel, a YouTube company. My criteria, I have to give a couple of just tidbits on his career. In 02, this is when really Warren Sapp came on my radar. He's young in the league. They're playing the Green Bay Packers. He blindsides a guy in the Packers. Just absolutely destroys him. The injury was described as, quote, severe pelvic injury, which hospitalized the player for almost a week, of which he could not walk for the next five weeks. This was an unnecessary roughness. He broke his ass. <laughs> this was an unnecessary roughness <laughs> hit by one Warren Sapp. <laughs> so Mike Sherman, who's coaching the Packers at the time, he runs over to Sapp on the sideline, who's celebrating, by the way, and says, quote, <laughs> that was a chicken bleep play. <laughs> In response, Sherman, to this old white dude with a, with a stash, says, Hey, you talk tough, put a jersey on. And it's all caught on NFL cameras. So (laughs) that's incident number one. Sapp has another infamous incident about a month later where he gets into a heated argument with a referee after he uh, pushes hashtag Detroit Jerome Bettis uh, after a play. And Warren Sapp kind of starts to unravel after that in terms of his relationship with fellow players, referees, coaches. Uh, At one point, uh, he starts to develop a habit of skipping. So during warmups, he would, and Warren Sapp's not a small man. Warren Sapp would, he would skip to Lou like a little twinkle bell through the warmups of the other team. Uh, twice causing all-out breakout fights between two of his opponents and him. Uh, he gets fined at one point for doing this and says to NFL Network, another quote, The NFL is a slave system. Make no mistake about it. Slave masters say you can't do it. Don't do it. They just make an example out of you. So he's got the attitude He's got the anger. He's got the you-know-what finger in the face of authority. So I'm thinking straight attitude era. Warren Sapp, who I would call either Warren Splash or Carlos Masters. I would make him keep the corn rolls. He'd have his signature bug eyes. Remember when he would look at the camera with the big bug eyes? And I'd have him. Kind of looks like he's got that phase on love, like big perm, big yep, perm. Yep, yep, yep. And I would have, of course, his signature skip be his entrance into the ring. Imagine this giant 6'3", 300-pound guy tiptoeing, skipping to the ring. Yeah. My finishing move for him would be called the sap splash or simply unnecessary roughness. Oh, yes, yes. And the way I envision this is him laying a guy out on the mat skipping and then doing a full-on Warren splash 
or sap splash onto the opponent as he lays on his back in the ring. That's his finishing move. Perfecto, my friend. Last, I love it. Last I thing I'll it. say about him, when he's giving his promos and somebody steps in, picture Mean Gene or somebody stepping in and interrupting his promo, I want him to end every promo with, and by the way, if you think you can do it, put on a jersey, sucker. Ice entrant, Pancho, entrant number Ice one, Pancho. Warren Sapp, could have been a WWF wrestler even after he retired. All right. Well, listen, that's going to be hard to top, but I like how you, uh, you've set the tone. So my first tag team entry, my team name for this tag team is The Violence. And it, it, it is Mr. Lawrence Taylor. LT. And Lyle Alzado. Oh, wow. L. Managed by cornerman Tony Siragusa, the goose. Wow. Okay. I like that a lot. All right. So now let's be clear. When we get Lawrence Taylor, we want the LT version. Because basically everything about and around LT was violent. He invented the quarterback strip sack. He broke Joe Theismann's leg on national television. He showed immediate remorse. He did. He did. But it was violent. (laughs) It was was violent remorse, too. Even his gesturing to the sidelines, like, please come help this guy. <laughs> I, 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 every time I see that clip, I notice him panicking more than <laughs> Joe Theismann. <laughs> I heard his leg snap. Come on. Yeah. He, he was an unstoppable madman in Tecmo Bowl. Uh, shout out, by the way, to Bo Jackson, who narrowly missed my list here. But... Anybody who is that good in a video game, um, you gotta you gotta give them their due respect. Give him his also, due. To uh, to meet your criteria, uh, LT abused his body with years of bad habits and abused his reputation with years of bad choices. Um, now you may not remember this, but I recall from kind of the last of my wrestling watching days. When uh, magically pay per view used to appear in our dorm rooms because of magic. Was there a box um, that was black in the room anywhere? I will not confirm or deny. I just know that something came on the screen. Crazy. Um, and I had nothing to do with it. I um, LT in 1995 WrestleMania 11 actually. Battled and defeated Bam Bam Bigelow. I remember. I remember well. Yeah. And it was good because I hated Bam Bam Bigelow. And as disappointed as I was that day that Shawn Michaels didn't win the bout that he was in, I was pumped to see LT take down Bigelow. Now, if he's gonna if LT's gonna do this, he's gotta have more than just the football jersey and like the football half pants that he wore in that match. <laughs> I think 
if I remember correctly, he actually had like this mock turtleneck underneath his jersey. I believe so. Which is like that's like the least wrestling thing that you could possibly wear. So we got to up his uh, his wardrobe game a little bit. But he's on the one hand, his partner, the legendary Lyle Alzado. Um, I'm not sure there is a more perfect character among NFLers than Lyle Alzado. I mean, they literally created the, oh, shoot, we forgot to put this in the rule book before, but yeah, you can't throw the opposing players' helmets around the field, Lyle, so we're going to amend the rule book to make that clear. I heard a rumor, I heard a rumor about him that um, he may or may not have used anabolic steroids. I'm just, I'm just saying. So not only did he do that, but he actually was very forthright about it. And he told the world that basically that's what was about to kill him and did when he succumbed to uh, his brain tumor. Um, There's a huge article in Sports Illustrated about it. So I think that he sort of made amends on his way out, but he made no bones about the fact that basically that's the only reason he made it in football. Heavily featured. Barely. Heavily featured in um, Bigger, Stronger, Faster, that documentary that came out in like the early 2000s about yeah. steroid abuse in sports. Well, look at it this way. This is a guy who barely made a college team at all. Like He was not a star in high school, but once he got on uh, the juice, he kind of quickly shot up the ladder, and he became like such a badass. He actually fought an exhibition match against Muhammad Ali. What? And made it eight rounds. Dear Lord. Made it eight rounds. Wow. Yeah. Didn't know that. Because the 80s were just fantastic and awesome, naturally, he participated in a Just Say No music video of the Nancy Reagan era. Um, You know, that, that mantra applied to... Applied to the juice also, Lyle. Wasn't just the nose candy, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, anything you purchase anything you purchase illegally that has a schedule two or schedule three uh, label on it is uh oh it's illegal and it's drugs. You know, you know. Now, uh he also did he was a he was a character, right? Like he was a character on the field, character off the field. Also has uh some acting chops, and I was really irritated in my research. According to ESPN, which may know something about sports, but they know virtually nothing about fine cinema, ESPN characterized Lyle Elzado's post-NFL acting gigs, including the classic Ernest Goes to Camp, as forgettable. No. Disagree. Okay. Respect- no. Respectfully, disagree. Uh, there's nothing forgettable about Ernest Camp Kikakee or anything that Jim Varney ever did. And in fact, I think a cool foil to the violence, this tag team, would be Jim Varney with Don Knotts. I think that would have been an amazing, crazy thing on the card. That's an, at so, least a six to nine month storyline right there. <laughs> right? You can stretch that over six months. I think so. And to manage these two nut jobs, you got to have some big like jersey just kind of greasy looking but lovable dude and that was tony siragusa like 
Everybody loved the Goose. He's a great smack talker, witty and funny, and did a, actually a great acting job on uh, the Spike Lee joint, the 25th Hour with Edward Norton. He was actually really good in it. Um, and he just kind of looks like an old school wrestler. You know, he's got kind of the, like the build for it, the kind of dumpy but strong, the kind of greasy, curly looking hair. Shout out to, uh, shout out um, to Andy Post. Shout out to Rick Trombley. We always talk about that excellent 80s pro wrestling build. No abs. Yep. Elevated traps. Yep. Rounded deltoids. Yeah. Barrel chested. Now, we're not talking about oh, striated yeah. pecs. Barrel chested. No. Right. Kind of guy that looks like he could hammer the beers on Friday night. Stumble into the gym at 7.30 in the morning on a Saturday. Drink a four-ounce cup of coffee that's free in the lobby. Grab a towel. Sit on the bench. Close his eyes. Two wheels on each side. And just start warming up. Yep. And then, like, later in the evening, he could be, like, an amateur operatic singer or something. Yep. Just that, that's the way they look. That's Spot on. Forgotten build. And, it's a know, forgotten build. Goose is the kind of guy, like, and he's the kind of guy who, like, he's he's the corner man. You know, he's he's got the the color, the personality. But make no mistake, he, he may pull out a folding chair on you if you're not careful. Yeah, or Enjoy throw him. some chalk in so, your eyes, or you know, hit you with the ring bell just to distract it from yep. his team from the violence. Yep. Yep. So that's uh, Goose is my manager. Ninety-seven and one record as a high school wrestler. Ninety-seven and one. Wow. State well, champ in New Jersey. Shout out. How how would one Jimmy Shades be as a pro wrestler? One man who rocked a pair of sunglasses, a very notable and recognizable headband, a signature move that may or not be called TSS or the Super Suplex. <laughs> With a signature saying that was forged by a game at BYU where he was down so many points that 90% of the stadium left only for him to come back and throw five touchdowns and win a game and simply say to the media, it's not over yet. What about Jim McMahon of the Bears being a pro wrestler? Uh fantastic pick and here's a guy who not only is he an absolute character he he basically was a wrestler except he played football Amen. Uh, and, and was a super bowl champion promos he, every game know, yeah before yeah. and after promos every game so i think one intriguing thing about about Jim McMahon too, if you're gonna be a wrestler, you gotta be you gotta be kind of flexible. You kind of you have to be able to sort of like roll with the punches, go with the flow. You can get all kinds of weird obstacles thrown at you. You know, Jim McMahon already has a track record for that. You know, why he wore the sunglasses. Yeah, visor. I, yeah, I had to read it. Or I had our intern read it. And uh, please yeah. tell the people why why he actually wore sunglasses that people gave him well uh, gave him flack about, and they didn't know this. So, yeah, 
Well, as as a youngin, his brother stabbed him in the eye with a fork. While they were trying to open pretty something. Much yep. what's, yeah, that's pretty much what's going to happen on any given uh, wrestling match. You know, you're liable to get eye gouged or with a fork. You know, something. Yeah, a fork, a stick, who knows, right? Yeah, he, he grew up. He grew up his entire life, in fact, extremely sensitive to light. And uh, people also used to give him a little bit of mess about wearing eye black as a quarterback, especially during like day games and stuff and, and night games yeah. as well. And it was because of this eye condition. So here's what I'm thinking about the Bears quarterback who won the – you know, Kevin, I always forget the year that they won the Super Bowl. It was Well, it was uh, 1986. From the 1985 Bears team. The Bears team. So I mentioned some of my earlier criteria. I'm thinking he's more of like a cruiserweight guy, more of like a television title or maybe an intercontinental championship. 6'1", he's a little over 200 pounds. He's not going to be as big as a guy like Warren Sapp. He's not going to have the the same presence in the ring. He's athletic. I think he's going to be super uh, um, athletic and acrobatic in the ring. You got to have some legal trouble. So he's been in trouble with the law many times, may or may not have had some faulty loans that he passed and had the FDIC and uh, the IRS on his back a little bit. Uh, He's also had a history of heavy drug use. So uh, he was one of the first people to help lobby for medical cannabis in the NFL. Loves to uh, get down on the WEED. And he has a history of antics, and I think they're worth mentioning. So on and off the field, always getting in a little bit of trouble. One year, the NFL commissioner, Pete Rozelle, gave him a little bit of trouble about wearing his patented headband. Oh, yeah, I remember. So (laughs) Pete Rozelle uh, finds him, essentially. So the next week he comes out and puts a headband on that just says Roselle on it, <laughs> to which the NFL find him again. And even Roselle himself said, and I quote, putting the headband with my name on it was funny as H word. <laughs> but he still fined Jim McMahon the $5,000. So for the rest of the season and for a lot of the time and the rest of his career, uh, he would wear headbands that had messages on them, mostly pretty good ones. He had one, in fact, that was uh, JDF Cure, which was essentially a, a statement for juvenile diabetes, which he was close to because of a family member. He would infamously wear a POW MIA headband out on the field. And then uh, one year he wore a headband that said Pluto on it because a close friend of his at BYU uh, had unfortunately passed away from a brain tumor. So like a lot of lovable wrestlers, these guys, I'm thinking like the rock or stone cold, they were lovable villains. So he might've had a wink and a nudge towards the authority figures, but to the people, he was a rebel and he kind of straddled that line. I think Jim McMahon could have definitely fit that profile of a wrestler, especially during the attitude era. And that's why he's my, He's my second pick. 
Yeah, and and very marketable. I mean, I remember as a kid, he was on the Taco Bell commercials, and after like slamming a crunchy taco, the 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 tagline of the whole commercial was "Hi Pete." <laughs> so funny, dude. Yeah, I mean, to to get to get the guy to get the guy to actually admit like that's really funny, but I still have to find you. That's pretty cool. It's awesome. It's total Vince Mc, total Vince McMahon Stone Cold Attitude Era where those two guys, as soon as the lights turned off, were holding hands, laughing to the bank together. I wonder if they're related in any way. Doesn't seem like they should be. Vince McMahon and and the Bears quarterback Jim McMahon. I don't yes. know. I, I bet you if you're if you're Vince McMahon, you ask him. He's only related to God. <laughs> yes, or the other way around, according to him. Satan. Yeah. Um, all right. So next tag team. Tag team number two. I'm calling the Dirty White Boys. Nice. Oddly enough, what they called us at the racket club on Saturday mornings. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't always shower, so what do you expect? I'm just going to get sweaty anyways, Kev. So, Enjoy the garlic. Yeah. So, the Dirty White Boys consist of Dick Butkus and Rob Gronkowski. Dick Butkus, I believe, who is the NFL's... And this is when I had the NFL Network. I believe he was voted the toughest player in NFL history. Uh, probably toughest, scariest, meanest, dirtiest. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Yep. Uh, so, so Dick Butkus and Rob Gronkowski. Now, mind you, remember what I called the team, right? Managed by, get this one, Odell Beckham Jr. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So... Just to be clear here, Dick Butkus, I, I mean, doing like three minutes of research just to shore up some of the stuff that I already know, so fun. Listen, listen to this quote from Deacon Jones, the Hall of Fame defensive end. He said, Dick was an animal, a stone maniac. He was a well-conditioned animal, and every time he hit you, he tried to put you in the cemetery, not the hospital. <laughs> That's awesome. That's like Miracle Crow Cop. Is, Left kick seriously. hospital, right kick cemetery. He was accused of biting quarterbacks in pileups. And the Detroit Lions own Charlie Sanders said Butkus poked his eyes through his face mask on multiple occasions. Um, Butkus once intercepted Hall of Famer Fran Tarkenton near the end zone. But instead of simply strolling in the end zone for a touchdown, Butkus went out of his way to run over Fran Tarkenton near the goal line instead of scoring. Doesn't that sound like the... like? like doesn't that sound like exactly what happens when an 8th grader drops in on a 5th grade classroom's game of pickup football at recess? Pretty much. And and I think that was sort of, uh, you know, Dick Butkus's playground back in the, in the NFL of that era. Because he was that big and that fast and just crazy athletic for the day. And and he's certainly got the attitude of the consummate bad guy. I mean, listen to this. So 
he sort of denied that he had any real malevolent intent, sort of. <laughs> he said, he was quoted in the paper as saying, I wouldn't ever go out to hurt anybody deliberately unless it was, you know, important, like a league game or something. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, otherwise, otherwise it's okay. I got you. So, like, I, I'm not sure. He, he may be like the most natural of any of these guys in terms of just being the guy you, you love to hate every time you see him. And he's always going to say something that's going to vile everybody up. And I'll give you a final example that should be near and dear to our hearts. <laughs> in a memoir about the 1971 NFL season, Dick Buckus said about our very own Detroit Lions, I think there are a lot of jerks from the owner, the general manager, the coach on down. If we were voting for a jerk team or organization, they'd have my vote all the way. <laughs> that sounds so old-timey, just using the word jerk over and over again. I, it does. It's such a great 1971 insult. And it sounds it. like such a bit, like it. something somebody would use in a pro wrestling promo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can you can imagine, like, Ted DiBiase screaming that at Mean Gene. You know what I mean? And the next week, every person it. in the next city... Holding up signs that just says jerk on it. Oh, yeah. Yep. And then he comes to Detroit and just gets stuff thrown at him. Total and, heel. Oh, I believe they call that cheap yep. heat in the uh, wrestling business when you just, the, <laughs> the cheapest form of heat is when you go to the city and you just say, I tell you what, the last time I was here in Peoria, Illinois, I couldn't forget about how much you people stink. And then everyone in Peoria, Illinois, screams at you and throws up. <laughs> Good old cheap heat. <laughs> so his partner here, Rob Gronkowski. Now this one may be a little bit controversial, I guess, because unlike LT's, you know, one-off uh, uh, stint, Gronk actually was kind of a professional. Wrestler he was right. Bit. Right? Yeah, he made a cameo at WrestleMania 33. Uh, and actually won some kind of championship at WrestleMania 36 and held on to that title for a little while anyway. Um, but Rob Gronkowski is just like perfect to play the consummate meathead jock in virtually any setting of the 1980s and 1990s. I mean, he was basically born like 30 years too late, you know? He would have been so much more positively received by culture and probably further ahead being being I don't know, relevant in like 81 to 92 or something like that yeah yeah and you know to sort of keep up with the the character requirement i love i love his uh his insight on sports nutrition <laughs> grok attributed his ability to consistently show up and go hard at practice to his partying off the field because he felt refreshed by it. Of course, the Johnny Manziel uh, argument. <laughs> if I can relax and, and pull myself down for a little bit, then I'll be a better player on the field. Yeah, you know, it's like uh, Bobby Lane. You know, you, you show up hungover and, you know, 
once that first quarter wears off, like you're good to go. Good to go. And, but who's to argue? Who's to argue? Yeah, he's awesome. He's a um, once in a generation talent. Yeah. So if you're gonna have anybody to sort of like, you know, corral these two dirty white boys, you gotta have somebody with some real flair and personality. And I, Odell Beckham Jr. is like the Dennis Rodman of the NFL. Yeah. He's he's even he's even got the crazy hair, um, like the biggest personality with the most ridiculous, you know, on and off the field issues. You know, he once bought a kicking net in the middle of the game, only to later propose marriage to the same kicking net later in a different game. He. <laughs> He, he wore a $190,000 watch to the game. I mean, the dude's just bizarre and crazy unpredictable, but so colorful and controversial that he's got to be in here somewhere. And I think maybe as, you know, that hype man, color man, like, I think he really could, could make a go of it. No, I think that's an excellent choice. And then you have the contrast, obviously, of, the two tag team members with almost like their antithesis or their opposite as the hype man slash manager. That's a pro wrestling model that has been used successfully over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you gotta have that contrast because Butkus and Gronkowski are basically like two, you know, giant beer swilling Polish dudes. And then you got, uh, uh, who's not that at all. <laughs> right, complete opposite. What would you say if... Um, what would you say if somebody played, I don't know, 243 consecutive games in the NFL? I would say they're either invincible or they're now dead. What would you say to someone who was notorious for altercations with both teammates and opponents, one of which took place in 1995 where he was subsequently fined $4,500 for kicking a fullback on the opposite team in the head. I'd call that man a hero. What about uh, maybe a couple more, a couple more incidents in the 97 season that he played in the NFL? $20,000 worth of fines on this one here. Helmet-to-helmet contact with the opposing team's quarterback, which resulted one in a concussion and then the other a broken jaw. Wow. We're we're, we're getting to legend territory now. So what if this same person, a season later, spat in the face of an opposing team's wide receiver and then taunted him after he spat in his face? It's kind of like, when you honk at somebody who cuts you off and then they flip you off, like it's not supposed to go that way. Kind of sounds like a guy, a guy who might be fined a total of $45,000 for three legal hits in one season. One where he punched a tight end on the opposite team in the face through his mask. Another one that was uh, settled for an undisclosed amount because he took the ball after a play and threw it at the crotch of another opponent in the middle of an NFL game. How about if that same guy, 
attacked one of his teammates in practice and crushed his eye socket with a punch that was so hard that the person had to go to a trauma surgeon who was used to dealing with people in car accidents. Well, we're talking about practice. So. Talking about practice. And as we used to say all the time, you don't ever want to use this term because it can be misconstrued. Super demeaning, depending on who you say it to. What happens when you play an opponent on the opposite team who you do not look like and do not share the same ethnicity as and you call him boy? Yeah, that's a no-no in anybody's book. And then you continue to do it and you double down when you're questioned about it and you say you call everyone boy. So, this feller that I'm talking about I don't know how he wasn't in the WWF, especially after the league started to crack down on actual rules and enforcement of those rules. At 6'4", 245 pounds, Romocop. So I didn't even have to invent a name for him. Bill Romanowski, known as Romocop. That was his actual nickname. He's got the patented leather jacket, a flat top, I swear that guy wore eye black to church on Sundays. Always had eye black on. Constantly had eye black on. Even if they played in rain, snow, sleet, hail, night, day. He has to just completely call everybody boy. Everybody. And his finishing move as Romo Cop, simply going to call it the arrest. And I picture it as a submission finisher. Something where maybe he holds the hand of his opponents behind his head or the opponent's heads or puts him in a, like a modified bulldog choke like you see guys on cops doing to drug addicts trying to run yeah. away from him. Does he then spit upon them? He could. I mean, spitting is fair game in pro wrestling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we're looking for guys that you really, really want to lose... He's the perfect guy to have in there. Romo's the perfect, perfect heel. Walking around the WWF calling people boy. Uh, throwing him in the arrest. And I can just kind of picture him like behind an opponent. Somebody who's over a baby face. He's got their hands behind their head. And he's just slowly choking them out. Laughing at him. Looking in the audience. Making everybody hate him. I can literally picture it. <laughs> you know... The only thing that would be better than having him use his uh, his given nickname of Romocop would be to have him be somebody completely who's not him, like Iron Sheik style. <laughs> have him like don you know uh, the garb of a, an entirely different culture, but it's Bill Romanowski underneath it. Romanowski comes out just completely decked out and. I don't know, like a Komodo and a, a headband with a Japanese samurai sun on the, on the cover yeah. of it. Yeah, but he could still call people boy and do all his other heelish stuff to make you hate him and want him to die. But, you know, he would do it looking, you know, not like the, you know, Romanowski Polish man that he is. So that's my guy. That's my third and final entrance to the singles. Wow. Well, uh... 
I really don't have anything that's going to come close to anybody who we've talked about so far. But I kind of felt like we needed somebody who was at least arguably kind of a good guy kind of group. Somebody who's like, I don't know, like, like Bret Hart. Like, he wasn't, like, a bad guy. Like, no. he was just a good wrestler. Not until, no, not until his exit from WWF was he ever a heel. I think everybody universally loved Bret Hart right. when we were growing right. up. The yeah, pink glasses, the leather jacket. Yeah, yeah. So, I thought we needed a tag team with a little bit of a softer side. You know, maybe they're the ones that some of the ladies root for. And I call them the Mama's Boys. Okay. And these two are Howie Long and Troy Pomalo. Oh, wow. Managed by... Yeah, okay. You with me so far? Yes. All right. Managed by... And let me explain. Jim Harbaugh. Okay. Okay. All right. So Troy Polamalu has that kind of quiet but compelling, like natural good guy thing. You know, never got in any trouble. Everybody loved him. Uh, he's got amazing hair, and he's uh, super athletic. I mean, just he, he would be like the, the Jimmy Superfly Snooker kind of dude, right? Um, let him go like full Polynesian warrior, Samoan warrior, you know, that, that kind of vibe. Um, Howie Long has that kind of clean cut look, but also just total like bad arse when he needs to turn it on. And he's obviously very charismatic. He's great on camera. Um, he's got acting experience. You know, he's been in a couple of movies, even starred in one, you know, by himself. So I think they would have the entertainment chops. And I think that they've got that kind of, you know, like we can get behind these guys and, you know, maybe bring them home to dinner kind of vibe. Now, managing guys like that, I think you need somebody who can relate to that, but also spice it up if he has to. That's why I'm going with Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh's got very well-grounded, like moral center going for him. But he's also got some great sideline antics when the spirit moves him. Um, he's a seasoned actor, right? He's, he's been on Ted Lasso. He was on Saved by the Bell. Um, so he's got, you know, that entertainment factor going for him already. And huge wrestling fan. Huge wrestling fan. He's attended Monday Night Raw in Detroit. He's friends with the legendary Ric Flair and the Steiner brothers. He once pitched Michigan Stadium as a site to host WrestleMania and shouted out Canada's proximity as being a good reason because of the great Canadian presence in wrestling. No doubt referring to Bret Hart, by the way. Absolutely. So in a 2015 interview, he actually said that he would like to serve as a wrestling referee or corner man and in my research, the title of a February 2016 ESPN.com article is this. Jim Harbaugh as a wrestling frontman. Is it really that far-fetched? 
I could see him being inducted into every year around WrestleMania time that WWF does their Hall of Fame ceremony. And they have in their Hall of Fame a wing of like celebrity ambassadors. So people who, who push the product that may not be directly involved with it. Oddly enough, I had heard that Harbaugh story just completely by happenstance by my addiction to Deadspin. So uh, often, nice. yeah, so I, I would, you know, I always read Deadspin like at, at lunch and stuff like that back in the day. And I remember uh, it's got to be like, yeah, you said 10 years ago or whatever, him just kind of professing his love for the WWF and, and wrestling, pro wrestling, which I mean, it's a fit because he and him in himself is like a character. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, I, he's, he's one of those guys who we've talked about. Um, it's kind of like Arnold where he's a character, but he's really being himself. Yeah, he's him. He's naturally kind of a yeah. character. Yeah, and that, Kevin, that is and, uh, that is so rare in in life. And I he's the kind of guy that you you see him interviewed or you watch him speak in a public setting. Arnold has gotten a little more enlightened to the fact that he's Arnold as his years have gone on. But you have to wonder, he's not playing a caricature. He might be tuning it up a bit when he's in the public eye. But do you really think that Arnold gives you anything less than Arnold when you're talking to him on a one-to-one basis? No, no. And and that's, that's exactly it, it with Harbaugh. So I think because of that, he would fit very naturally into you know, mean Gene put the mic in his face and he has to hype up his boys, Troy and Howie, he would have no trouble conjuring up some kind of crazy reason why they need revenge or, you know, who knows what. He would talk about their favorite movies for no reason and then, you know, exactly. like, go on with some wild tangent. It would be awesome. Yeah, people um, who are that... Though, by the way, quick... Go ahead. Oh, just quick correction. I said Ted Lasso. He was not in Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso is partially based on Jim Harbaugh. Oh, well, you know he what? Was in De- he was in Detroiters. I, I don't want you to uh, pour salt in any wounds, but really enjoyed the first season of Ted Lasso. Didn't really like the second season. Completely quit on the third season. Well, that's that's up to you. I yep. disagree. But My wife, uh, it's, up to you. it's a big point of contention in this house. Thought it became... Too much of Ted Lasso being the shtick of Ted Lasso. So, neither here nor there. But, Kevin, I think we've done the people a service, as we always do. These are... I think so. These are NFLers who could have been WWF wrestlers. The list of honorable mentions... I had 30 of them. (laughs) So, but it was hard to leave T.O. off this list. It was hard to leave. Uh, it was it was really hard to leave Neon Dion off this list. It was hard to leave Michael yeah. Irvin off this list. I mean, there were so many yes. guys I thought of that could have been. Recently, watching the the Untold documentary on Netflix, Johnny Manziel could have been in WWF all day. That's a good one with the money yeah. with the money symbol in his finger. You know, coming oh, out to yeah. the ring just like there were so many guys who could have qualified, and I think it just speaks to the fact that. These athletes, guys who pro wrestle, guys who play in the NFL, and they're athletes, there's always a lot more depth to them beyond just being good at something physical. And a lot of the time, the 
character that gets developed starts at a very young age. There are myriad reasons why these guys turn out the way they do. And they entertain us in much more ways than just playing a sport or doing an action. Yep, no doubt about it. And and I hope that our listening audience, you know, next time you're watching, you know, Fox NFL Sunday or whatever, and you see like Terry Bradshaw, like think of him, think of him with the mic as like me and Gene. Yes. You know. Yes. You, next, you watch an old uh, an old clip of like Keyshawn Johnson. You know, or even like Tom Rathman, like running rampant in the mud at Candlestick Park. Like, yeah. Kevin, you know one of my favorite NFL players of all time. Randy Moss could have been in the WWF so easily. I I had Randy Moss on my list, but he was he was a corner man for me. Um, probably could have done either one of them, but he's just got a great like personality kind of, you know, potster kind of guy that gets. But also like. But he's also like really smart, and he he would be like really witty as super guy. witty. Would have been great. Kevin, how many yeah, times did I used to, how many times did I used to say to you at the racket club, "I'm Randy Moss." <laughs> we get fined for uh, doing the the Lambo Moon. Remember when he did that? And the ESPN <laughs> yep. e- the ESPN announcers are asking him Monday morning when he's showing up to the practice facility to to you know getting home from uh, Green Bay and. Uh, we hear the league find you ten thousand dollars. What are you gonna do? And he goes, ten thousand dollars. I'm Randy Moss. <laughs> he goes, I'm gonna pay him in cash. <laughs> Probably had ten thousand dollars in his loose change in his Escalade. Yeah, that that's that's where you get like the million dollar man driving up and just like throwing a suitcase at the yep. feet of Roger Goodell. Just like whatever, bro. They're gonna find you. <laughs> the league's gonna find you ten thousand dollars. I'm Randy Moss. <laughs> I got ten thousand dollars in my shoe. <laughs> so, oh, it's great. Another great episode. Good. We're kicking it. We're going through. Hey, I cut you off last week, so I'll let you have the last two words. But there's a game tomorrow in Ann Arbor, so. My last two words are go blue. There it is. Peace.